Welcome to another episode of Listen, Learn, and Love, hosted by Richard Osler. With me on today's podcast is my friend that I've known for quite a while, Jake Berry. Welcome to the podcast, Jake. Good to be here. Thanks for having me. And joining Jake is his friend, Nick Quilter. Welcome to the podcast, Nick. Hi. Nick is going to be part of the story because they were in the same ward in Arizona. Nick is also a friend and was on episode 256. So I'm really glad to have Nick back. We're in our home here in Salt Lake City. This isn't a Zoom. We're all kind of socially distanced. We're still managing through COVID. Um, Just by introduction, Jake is 25. He um, works at Marriott. He um, is somebody that I became aware of serving as a YSA bishop. He was not ever in our ward, but visited our ward. And I got to know Jake a little bit and um, we got connected on social media and I've just been aware of Jake. And um, Jake is going to share his journey with cerebral palsy. He's the first guest that I've ever had on the podcast to talk about um, cerebral palsy, something I don't know much about. Um, Jake will then talk about his journey in the church, um, serving a mission, coming home um, from his mission. I'll talk about that and kind of where he is now in his life. It's really brave of Jake to share um, so much of this about him. We said a prayer ahead of time and just pray that this podcast will be helpful for you, all of our listeners, to come together and better understand and support each other. Um, is that okay for an introduction, Jake? That's great. Thanks. I'm going to get sure. you to move that mic just a little closer. I want to make sure our listeners hear everything. There you go. Um, tell it, talk to us about cerebral palsy. So for me, I'll just tell a little bit about how it's affected me. Um, so, uh, when I was still in the womb, um, I had a pre-birth stroke, which, um, when, when I was, um, being birthed, um, I came out and I wasn't breathing. Um, but luckily, um, the doctors were able to get me breathing. And I remember in my adolescent years having multiple dozens and dozens of hospital visits. I actually visited uh, Shriners Hospital, which is the hospital that people go to with uh, special needs. And talk about just when you, when, when did you become aware? I don't want to, I'm not sure the right use that you were just different from other kids your age because you had cerebral palsy. So I, I became aware of it in elementary school and junior high. Um, I remember when I was in first grade, um, I, I, so a little bit, sorry uh, to the listeners, but a little bit about my back, um, about my physical um, aspects of my body. I walk with a limp and uh, my right side of my body, both arm, uh, hand, and leg um, are affected by the cerebral palsy. And I haven't been able to do a lot of physical things like everybody else gets to do when they grow up as kids. And so I, as I was saying, as I remember in elementary school, I found it to be a huge accomplishment to jump one jump on a jump rope. That's great. So, um, so 
I appreciate your letting our listeners know um, the physical description of cerebral palsy for you. Is that the same for everybody? Is cerebral palsy a stroke that caused change physical activity? Or tell, help our listeners understand just is cerebral palsy just more about cerebral palsy? So there's a spectrum okay. of cerebral palsy. Um, I was lucky enough that my um, in my case, it wasn't as severe as another person with cerebral palsy. Uh, what causes cerebral palsy is damage to the brain, which uh, the part of your brain that has the physical aspects of motion in your body. And so some people that you see um, in wheelchairs, I'm not going to say everyone, but a good portion of people that you can see in wheelchairs could uh, have cerebral palsy. Is cerebral palsy always something that happens um, before birth, the, the damage, if that's the right word, in the brain? So people are, it's damaged before you're born, or do some people diagnose with cerebral palsy because of damage that occurs after birth? So it can happen either way, either um, before birth, during birth, or um, year, years after you were born. And is it a kind of a one-time injury to the brain, like a stroke in your case, or can it be degenerative in, in the, in the, in the, it, as a sort of ongoing damage to the brain? Yeah, I, um, I can only speak in my experience because I'm not a medical professional. Um, We're not going to call you Dr. Jake Berry for the rest of the podcast. All right. <laughs> <laughs> but um, I don't, um, it's not a disease that continually gets worse, um, at least in my case. Okay. Yeah. And is there any cognitive um, limitations or is this just all physical? Um, you mean mentally yeah. or... Um, for me, I actually, in all of my grade school, I actually um, had a learning disability. I had dys dyslexia, <laughs> dyslexia <laughs> and I had a hard time just learning the basic skills that everyone caught on to. And so I remember going to uh, resource classes, taking extra time to learn something that everyone else knows, but it took me extra longer to understand most things like math, reading, so on and so forth. And is that because of cerebral palsy or is that a separate? That's a good question. I, I would think that, I don't know for sure. Um, I think I would, I would think it would be separate. Um, but also, also intertwined with it. So, um, thanks just for asking these questions, Zombie. You know, for our listeners that may have never talked to anybody with cerebral palsy, I've certainly been around this, Jake, and I've seen people that I've assumed have cerebral palsy, but I've never, you know, know much, I've never known much about it. Um, are you, do you, is this okay to ask? Your, this affects the right side of you. Do you know if you're right-handed or left-handed? I assume you're left-handed by default because yeah. your left hand just works better. <laughs> but have you ever known if you're right-handed or left-handed? I've always uh, said I'm left-handed because I'm left-handed by default. <laughs> that's that's what I figured. Yeah. 
Well, that's a good answer. Talk about just how, what was grade school like? Um, were you bullied? Were you made fun of? Or were you supported? Or did you have a little bit of both? I, I would say it's a little bit, a little bit of both. Um, in like elementary school, I felt fine. I felt like I was excelling in my, um, in my schoolwork. I felt like I had friends. Um, but once junior high hit, um, that wasn't the same case. I was being excluded from um, social groups in high school and at church. Why? What happened between elementary school and junior high? Um, I don't think you did. Any, I don't <laughs> want to say this is you did anything. What just happened culturally that we are sometimes elementary school kids are better than high school kids right. when it comes to loving and supporting. I just think it's the transition from being in elementary school and in uh, junior high, just because there's a, I think there's a hierarchy, a hierarchy when you get to middle school and high school, you notice that there's, popularity groups that you want to be able to fit in and you want to become a student body officer and you want to play sports and do musicals and choir. And I, I tried some of those, but um, I, I felt like my peers were exceeding in other areas where I couldn't. So like because of people exploring the areas where I couldn't, I was being isolated from who used to be my friends. Um, you're doing a good job of sharing your story. Talk about what, what made you happy in high school. Were there classes that made you happy? Were there activities, um, friends? Just talk about happy times during a hard time. Were there any? So. There were a few. I'm not going to say there were many. Um, I really enjoyed um, stage crew in, um, in middle school because I, I love the theater. I love music. So I learned how to do some uh, backstage work um, in middle school. And then in high school, I um, joined uh, the concert choir. And so I started to sing in concert choir, and I enjoyed that. But, um, like, I remember wanting to, to advance into the advanced choirs, like uh, show choir or magicals. That's what they were called. And I remember t trying out uh, two, years in, two years in a row. And got rejected both times. Don't know why, but um, I, I just know that teacher was very selective in who he picked because he was, uh, what I was told, a uh, state-renowned re teacher in, in the choir. What was the hardest rejection you ever had trying out for something or wanting to be a part of something. Do you remember just one in particular that was most painful? 
um, it would ha would have had to been um, uh, running for a, a student body officer position, um, both in um, middle school and in high school. And I was I was crushed because like that was gonna be my um, golden ticket per se to be quote unquote accepted in uh, in a place where I felt like there wasn't a place for me. That's that your vocabulary there. Um, Jake is powerful. The golden ticket to feel accepted in the place I wasn't accepted. To paraphrase, you said it better than I did, but you framed that up pretty well. And I just think we all need to feel like we belong. We all feel need to feel like we're needed. We all need to feel like we can contribute. And because you're cerebral palsy, there's probably some things that are not options to you to feel that way. And so this is one where um, you have an ability to really help your school and have an ability to um, lead and and really use your skills in a way that helps the school and helps you. And I, I love the term golden ticket. That's, I don't think that's, and I think your motives were good. Everybody needs to, and I like you using the word crushed. That's pretty honest, pretty vulnerable. Why did you try twice? It sounds like you ran more than once. Um, just because I wasn't going to like, because I, I obviously consider myself as an underdog just because I'm different than everyone else because of my disability. Um, so I wanted to be the voice for people who feel different, not necessarily that they have a disability, but I just wanted to be that voice to be heard for the different people that feel like they don't have a voice. Did you find that you were helping others that had a harder road? And I think this is in West Valley. Did you find that you were with other students because you kind of got how hard it was? No. Sorry, I don't quite under. <laughs> and just this idea that sometimes because you're having a harder road that you would see other students that potentially are marginalized and sort of recognize that their road is harder and kind of help them along. Did you find you doing some of that? Um, not too much, just because um, I, I, I struggled in my youth. And I, I didn't see myself able to help. Like, able to help. It's not like I didn't want to help, but I just didn't see myself in a place where I could help just because I, uh, and that's maybe where the student body office would have helped because it would have given you a platform to help others. Definitely. Um, the way student body offices are put to work on behalf. Talk about, um, your prayers to God. I assume you're talking to God about why you have cerebral palsy. Um, maybe not. I shouldn't make that assumption. Just well, that well, that assumption is correct. Talk, um, like, share with our listeners 
you know, some of that dialogue between you and Heavenly Father in your junior high and high school, because your life would be so much easier. And you've right. got family members that um, don't have cerebral palsy and they have doors open to them and having experiences that you're not having or able to have. So talk to our listeners about talking to God about having cerebral palsy. Well, I, I, I wouldn't say I counseled with God a lot about having cerebral palsy. It, it's more like I asked the question about why do I have cerebral palsy? Um, and why can't you take this away from me? Why can't you quote unquote heal me? Because I, I remember re- reading in the scriptures about the man st- struck with palsy. And I'm like, wow. and he got healed wow. from Christ himself. Why couldn't, why can't he heal me right now in, in these hard times in my life? Why couldn't he relieve me of this disability? And believe me, to the listeners, I'm not saying poor me, poor me, but I'm just, I only have, we all have only one life perspective and my life perspective is with a disability. And I know I don't have the worst case scenario uh, in my life, but it's definitely different than my neighbor. Um, I've never thought of um, that story in the Bible from the context of somebody with cerebral palsy. Did you conclude, how did you reckon, have you ever reconciled that or, in, or would you conclude that incorrect things, I don't want to put thoughts in your brain like, well, if I just prayed more like that man or was more faithful like that man, that I would be cured. It's it's because I don't measure up like he measured up and I'm not worthy of being cured. Or did you ever go down that sort of negative road? No. Good. I, <laughs> <laughs> don't let me take you down there. <laughs> yeah. Um, so Scratch that from your brain. <laughs> so I never, uh, I never um, thought or I never thought that um, God can heal me on, on this journey on my earth earthly experience just because I I know uh, from when I was growing up in the church I was always um was always told that we're gonna be healed after this life and what the funny thing is when I was like when I was growing up in the church I was always um, talked to about how special I was and how uh, blessed people were to have me around them. And that that I I really never understood that. And um, some comments that were made when I, when I was small. As people talk to you, Jake, about you being special, did that resonate with you or did that not, did that help you? Was that sometimes not very helpful? 
So it's a mix of both. So I really didn't like when people pointed out that I was different and that I was special and was here for a reason. I didn't like that at all. I, um, because I was still trying to figure out my, uh, my purpose on having my disability and for other people to uh, put in their opinions on why I do have it. And I just think it was very, um, very wrong of people to um, give me their opinions. I'm glad you said that. I've moved a little bit from saying those things that I used to say, because I think sometimes it's more about me just wanting to keep myself emotionally safe. I, I call it a platitude where if I can just say something soothing to you that I think is soothing, it sort of lets me move on from the complexity of your situation. If I can just say your special spirit or um, this law workout in the next life, it sort of keeps me from sitting with you in the, diff- the pain of your situation. Um, and for you, it doesn't really help heal you or help you just to say that, to point to the next life or to point to the prior life, I guess, by saying your special spirit. Um, so I don't know if that resonates with you. That's what people have t- kind of taught me. Sometimes those things aren't very helpful. And it's funny that you mentioned the prior life, the primordial existence, um, just because I was, <laughs> again, with people's opinions, like I, I feel like it was trying to, people were trying to um, give me the assumption that I had chosen this path on this journey on on earth and i i feel like in some aspects like i can see um why that why would why people would think that um but in another aspect i don't have the knowledge that i did in the primordial life so why should i even think about what happened in primordial life. That's fascinating. I have made that mistake at times. I'm learning from you here, Jake, because, um, and I, sometimes I make it in this life when I see somebody that's disadvantaged in some way, unemployment. Um, if I just sort of think it's because of their choice, um, it keeps me from wanting to help them and and saying that I have any responsibility there. So if I say that you chose this from the pre-mortal life, then it's easier for me just to dismiss my need to have to serve you and mourn and bear and understand because I can just say, well, this is what Jake chose in the pre-mortal life and he has cerebral palsy and he chose it. So I don't have any responsibility here to sort of bear his burden or lift or understand versus you not choosing it. It's just something that came into your life and it's really brutally hard and to sort of sit with you in that pain. So I don't know if that resonates with you. It helps me better understand things that I shouldn't say. Right. And, and for people to say that we chose our challenges, it's, I, I feel like it's very arrogant. Like I, I do believe in predestiny, but like for, at least for my case, this was this was a this was a 
accident that happened when <laughs> when I was being born. This was not a this was not a pre-planned thing. It was it was a natural that's what happened to my body. That's what happened to me. Like and I'm not and I'm not saying that I I don't have I was given this as a like I'm not saying that I have cerebral palsy for like just because of uh some birth defects but like it's my choice to figure out what the purpose is for and not for someone else to tell me what that purpose is it's a great statement Jake hope you realize how powerful that is that's a great statement i remember when somebody talking about a young mother that died and you, sometimes you'd hear tragic stories of a mother dying with young kids at home and people would say, well, God needed her on the other side. And I kind of went along with that until somebody said, no, God needs her with her young kids. There's no place that she should be but with her young kids raising those kids. And But in this mortal, imperfect world, really awful mortal things happen that God, I guess, allows to happen because it's a moral, mortal world. And maybe that's what you're trying to share with our listeners that you did really well is just saying this, your feeling about your situation, this wasn't God's plan. It's part of maybe his macro plan that he allows mortality to exist and the imperfections and the things that just come with mortality. But this wasn't something that he preordained for you to have a stroke to permanently change your mortal life. Are you okay with that? Did I say that okay? Yeah, that's perfectly. And if you go down that road, then I think it shifts the response a little bitty back to all of us to bear and mourn and comfort everybody because we recognize we're in this mortal world that we all need to help each other because it's a pretty painful world. And there's so much brokenness and woundedness, some that's more obvious than others. But I, the older I get, the more I realize we all have that. It, as part of mortality, it's an incredibly wounding experience to be here in mortality. Um, did you get suicidal um, um, in high school, junior high? And if, why are you willing to share some of that? Obviously, you're here with us. <laughs> yeah, I definitely got suicidal in, um, in junior high and high school. Well, more high school than junior high. Um, I... I actually um, became uh, less active when um, hitting uh, high school. And that's just because I I was being um, not necessarily bullied, but I was being um, intentionally separated from my peers. And not by my own choosing, but by my peers choosing that I did not belong in their social group. And I, when I started uh, feeling that I wasn't wanted, I just, I'm like, I'm, I'm done with, done with mutual just because every time I went to mutual, there was, there was always a, um, 
a spiritual thought. Uh, and then this is back when Boy Scouts was mixed in with Mutual. And uh, after either uh, Mutual or Boy Scouts, there's, there was always a sports activity. And I dreaded going to Mutual just because of that sports activity. And I knew that I wasn't able to participate. Or if I was, it would have had to have been very, uh, um, very different for everyone else just because they would have to accommodate what I can and cannot do. And that wouldn't be fair to everyone else to have to accommodate for, for just one person. So That's good. Um, I think in, unintentionally we, we do other people at times in our church um, where because you don't do sports, you're othered and you're made to feel like you don't fit in, you don't belong. And I sometimes mean people do that intentionally, but sometimes we just do that unintentionally. We just have people that don't feel like they belong. They don't fit into the main. Do you want to talk about Steve Young and a little bit about his role in your life for good? Yeah, of course. So when, uh, Back to my early childhood, I, um, I was a part of a few organizations. One was uh, adaptive, adaptive Sports. Um, they're located in Snowbird um, up in Big Cottonwood Canyon. Little. little? Okay, little. Um, thank you, Nick. <laughs> um, <laughs> um, so I, I, I was able to go to this um, organization and they were able to help me experience uh, what it what 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 it was like to uh, play sports or uh, learn how to ski or learn how to ride a bike um, keep in mind because of my cerebral palsy I I have never been able to ride a regular two-wheeled bike um, I actually grew up riding a, a trike, so two, two wheels in the back, one wheel in the front, and that that was a, that was a huge thing for me while I was a kid. It, being able to ride bikes around the neighborhood, and I, I felt really lucky for um, like Shriners Hospital for them giving me that, that opportunity um, through through their organization to give me that bike. Because uh, with Shriners Hospital, um, they, uh, at, at that time, they didn't uh, take payment from um, the patients. And I believe now they still don't, but they do insurance because Shriners, they're um, from, a, from a grant, but back to um, adaptive, adaptive sports, um, they're kind of joined in with um, Steve Young. Um, and they put on this um, really cool event called it's Steve Young Ski Scholastics. Cool. Um, so he gathers all of his um, celebrity, celebrity friends and he brings them to um, Snowbird, and they ski against um, the um, 
special needs kids. And I, I was lucky, lucky enough to um, participate in that. That's an annual thing. And I was lucky enough to participate in that for a few years. And I was very fortunate to actually feel like I was seen by Steve just because he um, invited invited me to uh, the dinner afterwards and because uh, they have a silent auction af- after these events. And he actually made a, a poster of me one year. Wow. And he, um, it was me holding a fish because uh, they taught us how to fish. <laughs> and wow. um, I was wearing my, uh, I-, I wore leg braces when I was younger. I was wearing my Scooby-Doo leg braces. <laughs> I love you <laughs> and, remember everything about that. Yeah. And so he signed that on my, on the bottom and it said to my main man, Jake Barry. <laughs> that is and, so cool. Yeah. And then a couple, uh, a couple of years later, they actually had me on, the poster advertisements. So that's so cool. Yeah. That's awesome. Talk about um you just briefly mentioned you became less active and then you went to Arizona and that's where you met Nick in a in a ward in Arizona. And I think that's where you got active and then ended up serving a mission. So talk about what happened in that ward in Arizona and your friend Nick who's here with you. Sure. Um I'm actually going to give you a brief background on like that whole experience of becoming activated. Um, as I was saying, when, when I was younger, I re- I, I looked up to my bro- brothers. Actually, this was um, prior to podcast. Sorry, listeners. But yeah, I looked up to my brothers when I was younger and um, I felt this yearning to want uh to want to be accepted by my brothers and i i know that and like i knew that they loved me but i wasn't i didn't really see myself as um being an equal to them as if they wanted me to come hang out with them or um stuff like that cuz it was my so I'm the baby, and my older two brothers, they are closer in age, and they grew grew up being best friends, and so it was always Brandon, Caleb, come in for dinner, shut the door, Jake. <laughs> um, so I I always felt isolated from them, and I always wanted that connection, so. like in high school I had a friend where I I felt accepted and I felt loved and but I that friendship kind of really went down the drain because not only do I have cerebral palsy but I I'm not going to say struggle and I'm not going to say 
I, I, I really don't like the phrase same-sex attraction just because it sounds like it's a medical term. <laughs> and so I don't like that. I, um, but as I was saying with that friend, I de developed feelings for, and I, and I was dropped and that broke me. And then as the years passed in that, those years of inactivity, I found myself exploring my sexuality and, um, as the years went on doing that, um, I, I felt this emptiness and yearning for something more. And I, I was giving, given two choices because my parent, I grew up in West Valley. My parents moved out to, uh, to Vernal and they, I didn't, Vernal is a small town, uh, Southeast near Colorado. And I didn't want to go to, go to Vernal. And so I had a choice of uh, going to Vernal or moving to Arizona and living with my aunt. And so I chose to go to Arizona and live with my aunt because I'm like city or small town. <laughs> and I was always, I consider myself a city boy. And so um, I'm like, I'm more likely to survive in Arizona, even though I don't, I don't know anyone there but my aunt. So I gave it, gave it a shot. I, so I moved there. Um, my aunt, who I love dearly, um, she took me in and she has always been there for, been there for me. And I consider her my best friend just because she's one of the only people that have shown me unconditional love. And so after I moved to live in with, uh, after I moved to Arizona to live with her, she owns her own business and she gave me a job. Um, so that she got me started on a couple weeks into living there. I have, I felt um, that same emptiness and yearning. And so that having that, I feeling that emptiness, I felt like at that time I, I, needed to take my life because I didn't know where else to go. I didn't know who, who I can talk to about my, what my feelings were pertaining to my uh, sexuality. And cause that was still a heavy thing that I was going through. And um, so I, um, I can't remember if, um, I was in thought or if I actually had a knife in my hand. Um, but I, I was continuing to, continuing to go through, 
to go through with it. And then I felt um, this overcoming filling with the Spirit. Um, it said, come home. I knew exactly what that meant. And so I didn't want to do this alone. Um, so I thought the best way was to contact the missionaries. And so that's what I did. And so I took the lessons for three or four months. And luckily I got the, the same missionaries stayed in the area for the entire time of that reactivation process. And like, I, I, I felt like now I have a purpose. Now I, I, I can actually feel the spirit. And because keep in mind, when I was inactive, I could feel nothing like, but being, being humble, like, and coming unto Christ and recognizing that God is still there. I, I was able to see that there was hope for me with, within the church. And I was, I was able to recognize that God does love me and Christ is my savior. And so while I was in that process, I, I had this overwhelming thought in my in my head saying you need to disclose these things to your bishop of what you were doing while you were inactive and so i i went into the bishop's office and i i more so skimmed the surface not to be not to really keep it from him, like in a malicious way. Um, but it was more like I was really uncomfortable uh, talking to a bishop who was three times my age about some sensitive topics that were really a part of who I am. and who I, I, at that time, I just didn't, I'm like, they, they're not going to understand me and really embrace who, who I am, disability, sexuality, and so forth. So I had this feeling, I don't know if it was the spirit telling me or something else. I felt like I I felt like I needed to go deeper 
but something was telling me to stop. And so I stopped. And I wanted, I, I, I wanted to continue on this path of coming closer to my Heavenly Father and my Savior. And so, like, the things that I did tell the bishop, um, there was a, some informal disciplinary action where I didn't take the sacrament and I didn't talk in church. And so we, we made a plan of, like, let's get you the Melchizedek priesthood. And so we did that. And then that plan went through. I received the Melchizedek priesthood. And it was actually one of the missionaries who um, gave me the Melchizedek priesthood. And because, like, that yearning of wanting to be close to my siblings, those missionaries at that time filled that void of these. I don't know why my brain went like, these two can replace your siblings for the time being. And so... I just let that thought just grow. And so that's why I became so fond of the missionaries is because they filled a void for me and they showed me what brotherhood felt like and they showed, obviously showed me what love feels like. Talk, you're doing a good job of sharing your story. Um, talk about, and maybe Nick, how did you meet? Let's have Nick talk a little bit. When did you meet Jake? So uh, I met Jake when I was working um, for Anasazi down in Mesa, and we just happened to be in the same ward. And Jake put a message on our Facebook page, I think our word Facebook page asking if anyone wanted to go to the temple. Uh, and uh, I responded and Jake and I went to the temple together. So, um, which was beautiful. Um, and that's, yeah, that's, that's how Jake and I met. And um, I, I think that I didn't stay in Arizona too much longer after that. Uh, I, I, I was only there for a couple more weeks and then I moved back to Utah for school, but that's when Jake and I started our friendship. Um, uh, yeah. And we, we would see each other, at, at activities. I mean, Jake was on fire with the ward. I, I just, I remember that so clearly. Um, he was going to every activity and he was, um, at every meeting and really, really engaged socially with everybody. Um, and I just, I, I loved that so much. I, I thought it was really, really cool. And it's just, it's just this really, really amazing image I have of Jake in my head of him just thriving, just thriving in that ward. Um, and I think that they were really good to you there, right? Like, yeah. Yeah, they were really good to me there. Yeah. yeah. Everyone was amazing. Um, yeah. That was like, 
like I actually so with this the story of like meeting with the missionaries, I um transitioned from a homeward to the YSA. And so I um as he was saying, I started going to every activity and I just felt the love of that ward embracing me just because I have never felt that before. Yeah, and I love what, what that ward was able to do for you and, and your cont- contributions to that ward and people like Nick's role. I'm going to skip ahead in the story just in the interest of time. You end up going on a mission. You're assigned. Tell our listeners where you were assigned. So I was called to serve in the New York Rochester mission. And thanks for serving there. And that's, we, we became Facebook friends, I guess, you know, way back when you were visiting the ward. Yeah. And so I remember um, seeing you get a mission call and being in a missionary. And I just had a big smile on my face. And I thought, that is really cool. And I just thought, you know, that's a cool place for you to serve. And I think you were posting on Facebook during your mission. I think you're a Facebook mission. So I got a feel yeah. for your mission and yeah. just the light and goodness in your eyes. And, and um, you ended up talking to your mission president in more in depth about what had gone on that you kind of skimmed the surface with, with your bishop. And that ended, I guess we call that a belated confession. And it ended up resulting in you coming home from your mission after a year and several months of service. Um, do you want to talk on all about that um, Jake, or what it was like to come home. Just pick up the story there on whatever you want to talk about. Yeah, I think what is relevant to that whole prior to my mission is like when I was talking to one bishop, when I confessed what it did, the rest was gone. It was like, because I, I don't want the listeners thinking that I was holding holding this in me that whole time because I wasn't like when I was being reactivated there was no not even for a minute thinking about going on a mission I had no thought process on that so like I like I had this filling of the spirit after uh, this missionary experience. Um, I, I was told by the spirit, go and serve me or else you're going to lose what you just gained. So that's when I decided to serve a mission or to put in paperwork. <laughs> that was a process of itself because not only did it, like, I obviously had to disclose my disability because <laughs> there's no um, overlooking that. And so I had to submit two or three times just to get the call because just seeing cerebral palsy on paper sounds horrible. (laughs) And so um, I just had to give him more information and then I got my call. And then once I hit, once I hit the mission field, like 
I was still on fire. Like Nick said, I, I had this new, te- well, yeah, this new testimony because I don't think I ever had a testimony growing up. It was all like bouncing off your parents because that's, that's a thing. And like, I, I know that going on a mission was a key in my, like, in my testimony because I, when I arrived on the mission field, I already had this, this knowledge of the gospel and the this testimony that was near and dear to me so i didn't need to question uh question anything to be able to serve and the first day that you're flying into to rochester new york the mission president takes you to the sacred grove and i didn't pray to god um i asked my deceased grandparents are you there are you with me will you be with me and they were there and they were with me that whole time as as i was moving forward in my in my mission I'm not going to say I didn't struggle because I did. I had not, not only was I struggling physically, but I was also struggling mentally because I had anxiety and depression. And so I, I was very vocal in um, what I can and can and cannot do. And my, my companions were were very very loving and understanding on my limits and i respect them for that but like i i felt like i wanted to keep up with them and that that just wasn't something i was able to do so Jake, tell our listeners about, you know, how one of your companions was really able to help you. So I was actually struggling, struggling with, um, some addictive behavior while I was on my mission. And I, I felt really trapped in, in that behavior. And I, I was, I've always been a vulnerable person. and. I have, I've, was able to grow very close to a few of my companions and this one particular companion, uh, told me, um, to, uh, or advised me to talk with my mission president about this. And so I did, um, even though I was a little bit hesitant and scared, I, went in to talk with my mission president and he um, advised me to take a look at this uh, manual. It's the church's 
um, addiction recovery program manual. And so I did that. And he allowed me to use that in my personal study on my mission. But when it, what ended up happening is I, during the study, I thought to myself, maybe I can get rid of my, uh, these feelings that I have for the um, same sex. So I was kind of self-initiating this conversion therapy. And so I really felt um, while I was on my mission, I, I felt like if I stuck with this and did these 12 steps, that it would help me overcome what I thought was an addiction. I, I was very blessed to be able to serve. And while I was out there, I got to serve on a Native American reservation and Rochester, New Rochester, the city of Rochester itself is mostly um, uh, black um, and Baptist. Um, so I was able to grow this love for the people and I don't see color. I see a person. And I, I was very fortunate to like serve in, in that mission just because it taught me a lot and it brought me closer to God and my Savior. But in my last area, I had this the hardest time figuring out why am I here? And like I I I found out why I was here. I actually there was a family that um that was in the ward and they they have one of their um they, so this family in the ward had one of their daughters transition to a to a male and so um I, he goes by he and um i saw that the love that that family has for their son. I'm like, wow. I know that didn't come within a blink of an eye. I know that there had to have been a journey that to get there. But to see that that family loves their son so much to look look at them with such love and kindness and understanding. I'm like, wow, this is why this was my last area. And I 
I listened to a BYU speech. This was prior to my belated confession. And this BYU speech, um, it was Russell M. Nelson. Um, I believe it was September 2018. And it, it talked about the... Um, it talked about um, the restrictions that they put up in 2015 for the um, for the gay and lesbian same-sex couples um, for their kids to be baptized. And later in that in that talk, he he mentions that hetero heterosexual or homosexual immorality is the same and should be treated the same. And so when, when I heard that it was a light switch and this was the spirit saying, it's time. So I called up my mission president and said, hey, I need to meet with you. At the time, we had a uh, visiting authority, and it, it was Elder Christofferson. And so he was preoccupied with that visit for about two weeks. <laughs> and I, I wasn't able to meet with him in person. There was no way I was doing this over the phone. And so a- after two weeks of mental hell, <laughs> I, I was able to meet with him and... Um, just let it all out and in in the moment it was so freeing and liberating for me i i felt like it was the right thing to do and it it, it just made me feel clean not that i didn't feel clean in arizona I did, I did feel cleaner in Arizona, but there was a weight lift lifted off of me that I didn't even recognize that it was there. And so, after like I confessed, like I knew I had a hunch that I was being sent home, and I. Um, I had to wait a couple days just because um, this needed to be communicated to um, the mission department. And I um, got a phone call two days later and the mission president said I was being sent home. And I was still at peace with it. I was fine. Um, the, phone, the phone call um, home was terrifying but I called my dad and he he was calm he was loving and I I I remember like he said it's gonna be okay and I believed believed him and so a couple a couple days after that phone call I hopped on a plane and I went went back to 
live in Vernal, Utah, where I never lived before. And I, I still had, um, my heart was broken, but I still had the faith in Christ and a knowledge of God. And I, con- I continued going to church. Um, so I got home in September 2019, and I went to church, and I, I, I felt like there, <laughs> I felt like I did in my childhood ward. I felt like there was a lack of belonging, and so like I eventually stopped going to going to church uh, just because I didn't feel feel like I belonged there. And a couple months later, COVID hit. <laughs> and so, um, yeah, I, but prior to COVID, um, I actually saw you at a conference, actually a week before COVID, right? <laughs> yeah, that's right. So, um, yeah, so that was, that was my first ally conference with church and LGBTQ community. And so I had a, um, one of the speakers um, there. It was the Macintosh family. I, I had actually um, um, saw their video on the Mormon and gay website while I was on my mission. And I... I, I felt this connection and I'm like, I feel that way. (laughs) Uh, Um, I, I, I see, I know how, uh, I know how Sean feels (laughs) and, um, I, I'm like, I made it. Uh, I'm like, I need to connect with these people somehow. (laughs) And so I'm like, I went to the um, North Star Conference, um, and I, um, it was the evening before like the conferences. It was like a a dinner social thing, and uh, Becky McIntosh, the mom, was setting up, and um, I was really early um, to this event. And she's like, "Hey, are you, are you new here?" And I'm like, "Yeah." Uh, then she like took me, uh, metaphorically took me under her wing and introduced me to a few people. And then they were a really good support to me throughout the conference. And like, I, I was very fortunate to have a good experience there. And I have, I have made so many connections through that organization and I I still talk to some to this day and I um I feel very lucky to I, I do think there is a part of me that feels like there's a There's a blessing to be found in both my 
disability and both my sexual orientation because I I really don't identify as being gay or being bisexual. I identify as Jake. (laughs) I don't I don't like labels. I never have just because growing up. You got labeled. Yeah, I got labeled. So, um, yeah, I just feel like being able to show people respect and love and embracing them for who they are and not asking them to change who they are to fit this certain mold that the culture of the church community has laid out. I, I actually like, I had asked you, asked you to share um, a quote for me. Yeah, this quote um, I'll read to our listeners. We need to listen to and understand what our LGBT brothers and sisters are feeling and experiencing. Certainly we must do better than we have in the past so that all members feel they have a spiritual home where their brothers and sisters love them and where they have a place to worship and serve the Lord. And that's from President M. Russell Ballard. I I just love that quote. Nowhere in that quote does it say that anyone has to change who they are. Do do I have a choice to change who I am disability-wise? Or sexuality-wise? I don't think so, at least not in this life. And I've, I've had this thought um, within the past couple of months because growing up, we understand that we'll become perfect beings in, in the next life. And I, I've thought to myself, and... I don't want to be perfect. Do I even want to give up my disability or my sexuality? Right now, I'm unsure. But because right now, I feel that's a part of who I am. And if, if that's taken away, who, who am I without having cerebral palsy or having this um, this feeling of yearning for connection with men. Like, um, I feel like I... I feel like I want to be loved. I know I want to be loved by those around me. But I'm, I, I was actually pretty hesitant about doing this podcast because Nick had asked me to do this about five, six months ago. And it's not like he pushed me to do it. He's like, <laughs> no. But he's like, you, um, cause he did this back in May. Um, and he's like, I think you should do this. And that was the end of it. Um, and so that lingered in my mind for 
months and months. And uh, up until like last month when I reached out to you, um, I, I felt like I, I know this will bring me peace. But the fear of losing the friends who I had made because of like the diff like I, I feel like people have friended me um in all sorts of different ways, but I I fear like that those genuine friends who care about me when they front when they listen to this podcast, they're like, oh, I'm gonna drop you. <laughs> and just be just like that one friend that I talked about in high school dropped me. It's not like I'm still connected with everyone that I've come across with, but like those who I had the like connection and spiritual experiences with, I, I can share one with you. I was in the MTC at the time. I had the hardest time in the MTC. But I had this friend who, um, who, what, who was w- willing to talk with me outside on a bench. And I actually, like, I don't remember what was said, honestly. But I remember how I felt. Um, there's, a, there's a picture called Lost and Found. It's by... Uh, Greg Olson. It's of this young man who's sitting on the bench in dark clothing, dark clothing representing the heaviness of his struggles and the heavy clouds above him. And then Christ sitting next to him and listening and loving him. And that day on that bench, sitting with my, a fellow missionary. I felt the light of Christ between the two of us. And to lose that connection because of circumstances in my life that are out of my control, that's horrifying to me. And like, I love my parents dearly. I didn't treat them the best throughout growing up. And I know that. I even blamed my mother for me having a disability. I knew it was wrong. But who else? Like, do I blame God? Do I blame myself? But it was merely an accident. And it was nobody's fault. But I hope that by talking with you, by sharing my story, will open up people's hearts because I deserve love and acceptance. I am truly fortunate. 
I've had a family that has shown me love and support. Not saying they were per- perfect, but when it comes to the disability, they were marvelous. <laughs> and they They were the best family, even (laughs) another thing with the gospel. We were told that we chose our family. If I did choose my family, I'm glad I chose this one. And I, I know with my family that it's been a struggle especially within my parents, to understand my my sexuality. I'm still trying to understand it. So I, I can't give you a perfect understanding of who I am right now or who I'll become later because I just want to find a companion to love me and to be able to love them. And honestly, I'm, I'm open to whoever that is. But I'm not, <laughs> I'm not in the search for that right now just because like, I just started a new life. Uh, I moved from Vernal to Tooele, and I started a new job. Once I get a hang of that there, of course I'll be on the lookout to find that companion. Jake, that was... I've never felt an impression not to talk more than I just felt at the last 20 minutes or so. What you said was some of the best stuff I've ever heard. I want to go back and just re-listen to many of the things you said. Your tongue was just loosed and you just spoke from your heart. And it just touched me so much and our listeners. You said some incredible things. Um, You talked about your disability, your sexual orientation as a blessing. And you're not sure you want that to end in the next life. And I just love that. I, I love because it, helps me understand how at peace you are with who you are and and the spiritual work you've done to get there at 25 it's it's remarkable and i think it makes the rest of your life possible because you're not always trying to sort of make this go away or look to the next life when it's going to end you're just living with today the very who jake berry is and owning every bit of that and i think that's really cool and um, when I talk, I do talk to Steve Young a little bit, and he was talking about our LGBTQ members, and I like that you don't like to take a label. I think that's awesome. And he calls you warriors. If he were sitting here right now, and he knows you, because that he would call you a warrior. And he would call that, you know, because of these two roads you're walking. And you are a warrior, and you're, and I also, and you should, believe that about you. I know Nick does about you. 
And I realize you've been dropped a lot. And that part of your heart that yearns for consistent love and connection that all humanity needs, that part of your heart is wounded. There's been spears through that part of your heart. And so normally you just never want to open that door again. You never want to share your story like you're doing on this podcast. You never want to get close to anybody because you're worried you're, you're going to get dropped. Mm-hmm. And and I just admire your courage to continue to open that part of your heart. Because I do think, and this is for listeners too, that if we're able to open that part of our heart that's really wounded for being dropped, not fairly, I think we can heal if we're continuing able to open up to the possibility that we'll find permanent belonging and people will, and that heart can partly heal and maybe fully heal from the pain of being dropped. I like that term. Um, I think you've got a great life mission. I love that you're not sure about your, so we sometimes do these podcasts and they're sort of the end of the story, but most of them they're not. Yeah. And this is sort of the middle of your story or the first, you know, 10 chapters of a 30 chapter story or 50 chapter story. And I think that's great. But I think you have a foundation here of personal revelation, relationship with God and understanding of who you are to make the rest of your life possible. I think God is pretty comfortable with how you handled your talking to your bishops and your, and your mission president. I think you did the very best you could with your bishop in Arizona. I think you just, I mean, I think you, there's no owner's manual to talk about that part of you and what happened. And I think you did the best you could. You went on a mission. My impression is to thank you for the mission you served. And your mission is not defined in my eyes, and it shouldn't be in anybody else's by being an early release missionary or belated confession missionary, those labels you don't want. Yeah. Your mission to me should be defined about all the people you helped on your mission. Um, there's a lot of people whose lives are better because of Elder Barry. <laughs> and um, so thank you for what you did. Thank you. And I love that the personal revelation you got in President Nelson's talk about that just a light switch went off in you. And to me, that just gave you the tool to then the understanding and the further light you needed to talk to your mission president. And to me, this is part of your whole journey to try to be honest and and a stand-up guy. And just, I think you've been trying to do everything the very best way you can. And it doesn't mean you're perfect, but you've tried to move forward in the very best way you can. And I think you're doing a great job. Thank you. And I just, I have so much love, admiration, and respect for you. Um, I'd love Nick, you know, as you hear this story, you've been a friend for Jake before his mission. Just your thoughts you'd like to share with our listeners about your friend, Jake. Our friend, Jake. <laughs> yeah. Um, well, I, I just, uh, it was a privilege to listen, I think. Uh, I, I know a lot of the details of, um, of Jake's life, but I've never heard them told so consecutively before. Um, and so I appreciated getting to see Jake um like that and uh really appreciated hearing you speak too um that was really moving for me i i i think that um i want to if i if i could say anything it's that um 
my friendship with Jake has um, shown me the the difference it can make in how you see somebody. Uh, and 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 you you've already talked about this, but we can other people, and um, we we can we we sort of like to draw these invisible lines between us and um, people that are around us on from so many different angles, uh, visual angles or or ideological or, or or whatever it may be, and um, just seeing. Um, the difference I, I just hearing Jake's story and knowing how big of a difference it makes for him uh, and to hear him speak so articulately about wanting to be loved and accepted and you know, he's not trying to tear anybody down he's not he doesn't have an agenda to overthrow the regime or, or whatever you know like all these sort of images that we can tend to pull up I think as part of that line drawing that we do um he he just he he knows what he yearns for and and we and and we can all connect with that i think um and i do not think that's accidental i i i i think that we are um very very wired to feel that way but um, another thing that i want to say about jake um, is, is that ever since I've known him, he has this, he's just had this brilliant light in his eyes and, um, and he still has it. And I hope that listening to him speak, you can hear that thing that I'm talking about. And, um, and, and, and I, there's, there's something to that. There's something there that I think that we can learn to see in, in anyone who is on, in, in front of us. And Jake finds himself in an interesting intersection in that he's in, like, uh, at least two, I had three in my head for some reason, but two, two minority groups in the church. Uh, or three. He's in three. Yeah, I was right about the three. I counted. What's um, the third? What's the third one? Well, you're an inter- uh, early return missionary. Okay. Yeah. So um he he's he's got a physical disability. Um he his sexual orientation is well non-normative, I guess would be a way I could say that. And 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 he came home early from his mission. Um the early return missionary missionary group is a group of people that kind of get swept under the rug and um experience a, a menagerie of feelings. Um so and and despite all of that, like all of those that triple intersection, you know, I still see just this immense courage and light, and and um, and it's it's just amazing. So that's what I wanted to comment on. I'm glad you're here, um, and I'm glad what you said. What does it mean for you, Jake, to have Nick here with you? Um. <laughs> It, yeah, I can't explain it. It's, I, I, I told him I wasn't going to do it without him. He has been a tremendous 
support for me since Arizona and to be able to open up to him about my sexuality, even even though I don't know what that is. He was humble enough. He was open-hearted enough. And he showed me this unconditional love to this wonderful friendship that we have. And I, I love him just for him being him and being, yeah. It's <laughs> great. Um, Nick's been just a great ally and... I'm so glad we did that podcast, Nick, on 256. That's like 100 podcasts ago. But Jake, you're the real, you don't want to be called a hero. But I love, I do love this friendship with Nick of you because he never dropped you. Yeah. And he didn't just your friend in Arizona until you got on a mission. And he wasn't just your friend until he found out your sexual orientation. He wasn't just your friend until you came home early from your mission. He wasn't just, he's just it's just this friendship that is based on who you are and just this pure brotherly love and what Nick, and I don't want to, Nick doesn't want me to make this podcast to him, but we can all do what Nick is doing. And that's really part of our baptism covenants. And I think this podcast and hearing stories like you, Jake, help us know how to better support and better do what Nick's doing for people in our lives and how much it means for you. And there's somebody in your life like that. Um, but you're the real hero of today, Jake, for what you've shared. Um, and just, you know, we could go on, we're at the hour 30 mark. So I just leave any final things you'd like to share though, Jake. What's left in me um, is I just want to speak to the individuals who, who have a disability. I, I pray and I hope that you'll be able to hold on or grow a faith in our Savior and know that God is there and know that if you have a desire to be healed by Him, that that will be, that will come to light and you'll you'll see what what path he desired you to have in this life and i hope that the bigger picture is going to be worth it
just because I know there's individuals that have had a tremendous harder life than I have. And I think my life is hard. I I just know that if if we're I'm not going to say true to our covenants because there's individuals who are not a part of our faith. I have this testimony that if you have a faith in God and or Christ within any religion, you'll have you'll have the blessings that you desire in the next life. And then to my fellow friends in the LGBTQ community, don't change who you are because I've tried to fit into this mold of being a member of this church and it's only hurt me. I know that there's going to become more light, more revelation if it's personal, church-wide, so on and so forth, that there'll become a time where we'll be able to just be a, another member and not looked at by our sexuality because I, I truly believe that we are not defined, at least if you choose to not be defined by your sexual orientation, that's up to you. I truly believe that we should not be defined of who we are because of that. And I love, I love that, Richard, you have created this platform of love and acceptance and of, like, it must have taken a whole lot on your part to be able to get here. And I commend you for that. And I love you for that. And I owe a, a whole lot of gratitude for you letting me be on this podcast, even though I, I'm, I'm really scared of what's to come. Uh, but that's, that's my choice. And I'm very fortunate to have you as a friend and as an ally. And I hope that there'll be more like you vocal and I actually want to extend uh, a challenge to our listeners is that all right um there's hundreds hundreds of your episodes out there of all your different friends and there has to be connection with the listeners to 
some of those individuals. I challenge you to be vocal about your support within within your friendships with these individuals, rather it be family, whether it be friends, so on and so forth. So I challenge you to be a light for them. And I, I would even say, post it on Facebook because you post every single episode on Facebook or Instagram. I challenge, I challenge the listeners to share their friends or mine. I, I don't want, I don't want more. I, I, I don't want the, um, I don't want to be, uh, thrown out there, just be thrown out there. But, um, if you know me and you truly love me, shoot me a text, say that Jake, I accept you. Give me a call. Say, Jake, I accept you. Do that to your friend. Shoot him a text. Say, I accept you. Share their story on social media and say, I love my friend. So that's the challenge that I um, extend to the listeners. And how perfect would that be on the occasion of flight the world. Love that. <laughs> you know? So. Well, um, Jake Berry, great job on this podcast. Nick Quilter, thanks for being here. Nick is the one that set this up. He messaged me a while ago too about having you on and I'm glad that Nick followed his impression because this has been a great podcast. And my prediction, Jake, is you will find more um, true friends like Nick in your life because of this podcast. And um, this will be a turning point in some ways, just feeling increased at peace with who you are um, and more support for who you are and a voice to help others. You spoke so kind to other people walking similar roads. So with that, we'll sign off on another episode of Listen, Learn, and Love.